0: and welcome to another edition of the Sports Mill Podcast. I am your host, of course, Clay Miller. Today's episode is going to be all about the NBA playoffs. I've already had requests from people to talk about it and wanted to get around to it. And I'm actually, to give a disclaimer, tonight is Monday, and so we're doing it while some of the games are going on right now. Uh, We're waiting to to see the Mavericks and Dallas game kind of finish up, so we're going to wait to talk about that series probably until that game's over. But I'm actually glad that we waited a couple of days and not did this before the playoffs because it's going to give us some clarity on some of these series and maybe how these teams are going to look during the playoffs. Uh, I'm joined by Andrew Sullivan. Uh, so let's start by talking about the play-in tournament because that kicked off the playoffs. Obviously, that's a new thing that was implemented a couple of years ago starting in the bubble. Um you know, the Timberwolves won that first game and then the Pelicans won and were able to beat the Clippers. Obviously, a big storyline was Paul George not being able to play. But I want to I want to start with the with the Timberwolves thing, because I think that um, kind of showed how good the play in tournament is, is that they were able to kind of feel like they did something good in the playoffs um, as even though they you know just won the game for the seven seed. So, twofold question, I guess, to start. You know, do you like the play in tournament format? And the big question that everybody wanted to talk about was did the Timberwolves deserve to celebrate like they did after they won that game?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hard because I think you almost have to separate the discussion when you're talking about these types of reformatted postseasons into like, is it fair? And then did I enjoy it? And, you know, we have that with the college football playoff. It's like, is four teams fair? Like I would say probably, but would eight or 12 be more fun? Probably. And I think that's the case with the play in tournament. Um, there are probably going to be some times where, where it's unfair, where a team that was six or seven games ahead of another team is going to end up getting eliminated because of the one game format. And I think that's not necessarily fair. And it doesn't really reflect um, how that season went. But like you mentioned, when you get these environments like you did in Minnesota um, against the Clippers. And then also I think Cleveland was a great atmosphere against the Hawks. And um, Trey Young kind of took over that game late um, to send the Hawks into the playoffs. I think that's what the NBA is looking for, because, um, you know, if there's any complaint that people have about the NBA regular season, it's that it oftentimes lacks urgency. You know, guys aren't um, guys aren't going all out. It it feels like um, it's just a formality until we get to the playoffs. And that's exactly the opposite of the playing game. You know, there's there's clearly an urgency from all the players involved and the fans are on the edge of their seat throughout the entire game and the atmospheres are great. And I think the best thing about it is it, it gives these teams like the Timberwolves, a team that probably is not going to go make a finals run. Um, it gives them a real game seven atmosphere at home. And that's something that, you know, these like Cleveland, Minnesota, that's something these fans um, haven't gotten to experience yet with this young young talent that's a part of their roster so i think i think it's good for the nba and it 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 puts more of these younger um less accomplished teams on a pedestal
0: yeah i I like the playing tournament and you know I, i i don't i didn't love it when they first implemented it because like you were saying it's like why more teams but i think you're right in the sense of it makes the games more meaningful um and it gives something to the first round of the playoffs that a lot of times this year is a little different because of the teams that are on the back end in some of the conferences, but normally the first rounds are kind of boring and and that the plan makes it a little, a little more exciting early on. And, and I think it also provides that spark for some of these teams to really get their momentum going into the playoffs to play some of these, you know, higher teams. Obviously Brooklyn is, you know, trying to find momentum and, and the Timberwolves as well and the Pelicans and all these, all these teams. So um you know i really like the playing tournament i thought it was both uh to talk about the timberwolves celebrating obviously a lot was made from that i thought it is both okay to celebrate and also at the same time it was just to get the seven seed so i mean like i yeah i don't know that i'm i'm all on board with you know the jumping on the table from pat bev but i will say they need to be celebrated for what they did this year and making the playoffs. Cause Minnesota has, I mean, they're not, a, they have not been a good franchise for the past 20 seasons. So for them to make the playoffs and actually get a, uh, you know, that's an important win that a playoff win pretty much. I mean, obviously it wasn't, it doesn't count as one, but I think that is what made it so, so special. And that's why you're going to see a lot of these teams, um, you know, really value, that's one of the playing tournament, I guess is going to continue to be important.
1: Yeah. I I think it's difficult because one of the things, you know, people always, if people don't like the NBA, one of the things that's always talked about is like, Oh, the players don't care as much. You know, they're, they're more of, they're in it for the money. They're about the business. And then when Patrick Beverly and, you know, Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns are going crazy after making the playoffs, everybody says, why are you making such a big deal out of making the playoffs? It's like, either you, I think either you should want your athletes to be um, emotional and over the top and care a ton about winning, or you should want them to be more businesslike. And if you have one of those two approaches, then that's fine. But if we want these NBA players to feel like they care more then I think when they show that we shouldn't just shut it down immediately. And that doesn't mean we can't make fun of them because, you know, Patrick Beverly did look hilarious jumping on the scorer's table, acting like he was, you know, Dwayne Wade um, in a finals game but it still was a cool moment and i think for those guys um you know maybe maybe the timberwolves do go on a run here but that's likely going to be the high point of their season um and so i have no problem with letting them enjoy it all
0: right um i we'll, we'll talk about the rest of the play in teams later because i want to i want to go with what you just said right there let's start with we're going to go through the the series uh and kind of end up you know working our way through the teams Let's start with the Timberwolves Grizzlies series because they won game one. I mean, it wasn't just that they won that play in and now, you know, they disappeared. You know, they came, they went into Memphis game one and, and stole that game. And, you know, call it what you want, a fluke, maybe we'll have to see. But I'm really interested now to see how this series plays out. And I have my opinions on why we saw what we did. Um, so yeah, I mean, what do you what did you make of the Timberwolves winning Game One, and, and especially from Memphis's perspective?
1: This to me feels. I, I think Minnesota can win the series from what I saw in the first game. That, that did not feel like a game where the Grizzlies came out, you know, unfocused, or um, the Timberwolves carried over their momentum from the playing game and caught them by surprise. So like no, Minnesota just looked like they were as talented as Memphis. Um, I, I do think Memphis has. Um, a little more depth and, um, guys that they can, you know, I think Memphis has the ability to change more throughout the series and adjust, but if Anthony Edwards is going to be the best player on the court, then Memphis can, can definitely win this series. And that's, that's a tall task throughout the course of the series, but jaw was good. Um, in the first game of the series, like jaw didn't have a bad game and Minnesota still matched up with them extremely well. And I think, um, one of the most interesting thing to, things to follow for the rest of the series will be how much um, Steven Adams is able to stay on the court. Cause he struggled some um, as expected when, when guarding somebody like Carl Anthony Towns, you know, that's not necessarily Steven Adams game. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they have to go small and use guys like Brandon Clark more often as the series goes on. Cause um, that was definitely something they struggled with. But I mean, if Edwards continues to play like this, Minnesota can win this series because um, you already have Carl Anthony Towns who's an elite scorer and, probably should shoot more than he does now. So yeah, this doesn't feel like a 2-7 to me. You know, this feels like a 4-5 matchup where both of these teams are um, legitimate contenders.
0: I'm really glad you said that. Well, I, I don't know. I guess maybe not for the podcast because th- we're not arguing, but I agree with you. Like, I, I, did, I don't think that was a one-off. And I think it says more about the Grizzlies than it does the Timberwolves. And what I mean by that is, is that the whole year, you know, we... We and I mean, the media, you know, whatever you listen to has been hyping up the Grizzlies about how it's a good young team. You know, they beat anybody and they hung with the big boys, even when jaw was out, like some 20 and two record or whatever, when jaw was hurt, which is incredible. But what I think is different in the playoffs is that. Everybody is trying in the playoffs, right? The consistency factor of the regular season where players are sitting out, not trying as hard, that goes out the window. Because in the playoffs, everybody cares. Every game, every possession, for the most part. Unless you're Kevin Durant on the last possession of game one and you don't play defense. But we'll talk about that later. But what I think is happening is that we're seeing the Grizzlies' problem is that they don't have anybody really except Jaw. I mean, when it comes down to it. In a big moment... I don't love any of those other players to step up and be really good in a playoff series. Desmond Bain has been good for one year. You know what I mean? Jaron Jackson Jr. Hasn't been to the playoffs and proven that yet. And so that's my fear is that, yes, are the Timberwolves probably a worse team? Yes. But they have three legitimate players who I would all say are better scorers than anybody on the Grizzlies team besides Jaw with D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, and Carl Anthony Towns. And that's what wins you games in the playoffs, is you have to have players who can who can go for 30 every night and just take over the game. And I don't know if the Grizzlies have that talent when everybody's trying hard every single game. Um, and so I think that that explains Now, I'm not saying they're going to lose this series like after one game, but I have seen enough from them to think, that they're not going to necessarily roll through, you know, the first two rounds.
1: Yeah, and I think you hit on it a little bit there, but the most important point about this is when you look at what Memphis did to get through the regular season in in such a dominant manner like they did, they relied so much upon their depth. And when you think about what happens come playoff time, Every single lineup gets trimmed down. You know, the Rockets were famous for. You know, they'd get to the Western Conference Finals and they'd have a seven-man rotation going by the end of it because they were just we're going to play our guys. You know, we this is the this is the mountain we have to climb anyway, so we might as well do it with our best players. That's not really how Memphis has operated um, throughout throughout the regular season, and you see that with none of Memphis's players played above thirty-five minutes. You know, ja led the team with thirty-five minutes. You know Desmond Bain played 33, Dylan Brooks played 35, but that's just not enough in the playoffs. You know these guys are going to have to start to ramp up because you look at the other side. You know Carl Cap played 43 minutes, Edwards played 40. Like you're just going to have to leave your best players on the court for a longer amount of time because, as you mentioned, it's not like the Grizzlies have some other dominant offensive player to take over when Jaws off the court. You know it's um, it's Tyus Jones who is is a, a good backup point guard, but is not not coming in in the same way that John Moran isn't is able to run your whole offense. So the Memphis has to play their guys more. This was something Mike Budenholzer struggled to adjust with with Milwaukee for a long time. You know some coaches are just stubborn about this. They're going to have to get more aggressive with that. Um, trim down their rotation a little bit and really find out what they want to do with their big man rotation as the series goes on.
0: I think you made a really good point there because people don't realize when watching basketball how much how like how few. Minutes can change the game. Like it can be a three-minute stretch that completely changes the game. And so in the regular season, when you're a team like the Grizzlies, who when their bench comes in, there's really no drop-off, right? Like what's the difference between Dylan Brooks and Brandon Clark or Kyle Anderson and you know Jaron Jack? Like they're all the same like level of 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 you know competitiveness uh, competitiveness. So in the playoffs, then when these other teams who have good stars play most of the game those runs that you can take advantage of another team's bench unit go away. And I think that was something big, like you said, that we saw in game one with, with, you know, the Timberwolves players playing 40 something minutes. So the thing about game one, I will say is that is Anthony Edwards going to shoot as well as he did in that game, the rest of the series. I don't think so. And so obviously, you know, I'm not, I don't think the Timberwolves are going to sweep them or anything. Uh, I would expect game two to be a lot different, but um, I definitely think I I saw enough from game one to be really concerned about the Grizzlies in this series and going forward. Um, So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, there's, I I think the best example of this and I was trying to find the stat and I, I wasn't able to in that short amount of time, but the best example of this was one year. um, I I believe it was when LeBron was playing the Warriors in 2018 when it was basically him versus the the super team warriors and his plus minus that year they would put up the graphic where he would play for nine minutes and they would be basically even and then he would come out for three and they would be and immediately they'd be down nine and that's that's what you can't have happen if you're Memphis and maybe it does happen but you at least need to limit it as much as possible and especially um, you know Desmond Bain was the only player um, in the game that was um, not negative that played significant minutes so maybe you try to leave him out on the floor more without jaw it seems like he was more effective but that that seems like an adjustment Memphis is going to have to make and then you just have to hope Anthony Edwards doesn't hit his shots because when he when he's shooting the ball well there's nothing you can do to stop him he he's just he's too athletic and too fluid of an athlete to not get to the rim whenever he wants if his shots falling so you have to hope his shots not falling and then at that point maybe you can sag off of him and and hope that he takes some ill-advised three-pointers.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're exactly right. And we'll see how this plays out, but I, the Grizzlies are going to have to find an answer for for Cat and for Anthony Edwards because they, they don't have, I think, the same scoring ability. So, you know, that, that's something definitely to watch. And that would be my upset pick in this first round. All right, let's move to another series, one that's already played two games in. I feel like our analysis won't be as as heavy on this one. And that's the, the Raptors 76ers. Philly dominated game one. Uh, Scotty Barnes got hurt. That's big for the Raptors. They won by 15 tonight to win game two. What's your, you know, we'll, we'll talk about big picture, I think, a little bit later. But, you know, we can go ahead and talk about the team as a whole right now. What have you seen from the Sixers in the first two games? Uh, you know, hopeful or is it more that they're just playing the Raptors and maybe it's a better matchup?
1: If Maxi plays like this for the rest of the playoffs, I think the Sixers can win the finals. Like he he is playing at such a ridiculously high level right now for a second year guard, and he's doing every like it, he's doing it on all ends of the court. Um, he almost had a triple double tonight, and his ability to play off of Harden and Embiid, I think, is something that was underestimated when the Harden trade was made. Because I think a lot of people look at Maxi as more of a um. A primary ball handler, but he's so athletic and he's so fast off the ball that, as a cutter, you know, you think about maybe like an Aaron Gordon on the Nuggets or somebody else like that, where he's so athletic off the ball that he just makes defenses work, and especially in transition, he gives them an added threat um, for guys like Harden and Embiid to get the ball at the floor to. So, if, if Maxi plays like this, I think this team can um, can beat Miami and give give whoever comes out of the other side of the bracket a really tough series in the conference finals. Um, who, who knows if Maxi will continue at that level, but right now he's averaging about 30 points a game in these first two. Um, and he's also enabling Harden to really just sit back and play this playmaker role that he's probably more comfortable in at this point in his career anyways. Um, so yeah, I think Philly's been really impressive. Obviously Toronto is not the most well-suited to match up against them. Um, they don't have anyone on their roster over 6'9". And I think some people thought that could cause um cause Philly problems but Embiid now at this point in his career is just way too good of a passer and distributor to allow these double teams to really affect him and they just have too many good players around him and Tobias Harris has been really good the past couple games as well so if he's hitting his shots if Maxi's playing well there's really nowhere you can go with this team unless Danny Green just misses 10 wide open three-pointers in a game so um, yeah I think I think Philly's been really impressive Um, they've had a pretty easy matchup against Toronto. Obviously, Barnes gets hurt, and a couple other guys are banged up for them as well. But I don't want to discount this too much because a lot of people thought Toronto could win this series. Like, going into the series, there were a lot of people that were picking Toronto. And so I don't think we should just say, well, you know, it's Toronto didn't match up, like, Toronto didn't match up with them well. Like, I do think we should take this as an impressive series for Philly because I don't want to do revisionist history and say that no one thought toronto could win i thought philly would handle them more easily but that that was definitely not the just the prevailing dominant opinion
0: yeah that's a good point i i I was of the belief too obviously there's no way to prove this but just believe me (laughs) yeah that philly was going to dominate them just because it's it's the playoffs and like i said the raptors are another one of those teams that play really well in the regular season because they seem to care every night and the sixers have James Harden who doesn't care a lot. <laughs> and so when it's the yeah. playoffs time and he actually does players like that, you know, you're going to see more dominance, but you, once again, you took my thunder and talked about Tyrese Maxi because what I've seen from these first two games, if I'm the Sixers is that I might've traded for somebody. I, I think James Harden unlocks Maxi, So don't, I can't de- dis, uh, discredit that. But I, if I'm the Sixers, my my formula for winning, obviously you can't bank on Maxi playing this well every game, is James Harden is my third option at this point. I'm I want James Harden to be a point guard because he is shooting the ball horribly, um, but yet you know they're winning big these first two games, and so obviously he can do a lot of things. Um, on the floor, but I would make him more of my point guard, and then just be make good decisions, get to the rim. Don't worry so much about shooting, Um, because Harden or Maxie and Embiid are so good at this point. And like you said, what makes it really difficult, and you know, I like I'm talking. You know, we talk a lot of opinion on here, but I, I do like talking X's and O's as well. Is that when you put James Harden and uh, Joel Embiid in a high pick and roll with uh, at the top of the key with Maxie on the wing? that's impossible to guard like i don't know how yeah. if maxi can make the standstill three because what that does is when harden comes off the screen like what do you guard do you guard harden do you guard Embiid on the roll do you guard and then if they sag help off on maxi that's a three or a, a full head of steam drive so that's just such an easy play uh and obviously it's one that's hard to guard so that's something I think that you know, people don't realize is, is it all it depends on your, the people that you have in that system, not to mention Tobias Harris in the corner who had like 25 in game one. So they have a really good set of pieces to make it work. Um, obviously, it'll be a little different when they play like a Bucks or a Celtics team. So really interested to see, do you think the Raptors can, you know, make this series more interesting at home or is it going to be more of the same?
1: I think they can probably steal a game. You know, they do play a weird style. Um, if some of their guys shoot the ball well, you know, maybe Barnes comes back from injury, and Philly won't have Thibel in Toronto because of the vaccination restrictions. So they'll be missing one of their pieces there. Um, I, I think they can st- steal a game, but this series feels pretty over to me. And, yeah, I agree with you on the, you know, that Thibel or on the the Maxi Harden and beat pairing. Like, I really don't know what you do against them. and I think it, I think Maxie and Harden both really benefit from that because like you mentioned, Harden hadn't been shooting the ball super well, but he doesn't really have to be right now. And I think this is giving him time to, um, to figure that out. And Maxie's job, um, not, not that it's not impressive what he's doing, but Maxie is getting to showcase his skills in one of the best scenarios he possibly could um, because he's just getting so much open space to use his athleticism to create. So It'll be interesting to see once we get into the next round when Philly's probably playing against Miami, um, if this can continue to hold up. But Philly has um, Philly has looked like they're swaying a lot of opinions early on so far in this playoffs.
0: Let's head back out west. Talk about another series out there, and we'll we'll go to Phoenix and the Pelicans. Um, talking about the play in again, you know, I'm of the opinion that. I feel like, honestly, I know Paul George got COVID. I don't know if they would have won that game. No, we will never know. But I personally think the Pelicans might be the better matchup for the Suns. Not to say they're going to you know, win a game, but I don't think the Clippers would have either. I, I think that would have been very bad for the, for the Clippers. So I, I actually believe that the better team got in because once Brandon Ingram came back and CJ McCollum got healthy, they were a different team. You can make the argument when Paul George came back at the end of the year. Clippers were a different team, too. But, you know, I I want to talk more about just Phoenix because I don't think either of us are going to have the Pelicans making this that close of a series. Um, But last night, we saw at the end of the game it got close and Chris Paul kind of took over. And that's what I'm worried about with this Phoenix team is that, yes, they are one of the more well-rounded teams probably in the league. They probably have the best seven to eight guys on in, in the league. But do they have enough in these clutch games, clutch time scenarios, are Booker and Paul enough to, to score? You know, do you do you have faith in that duo or anybody on that team?
1: Yeah, I mean this year what's interesting is they're one of statistically they're one of the best clutch teams in the entire league. And I think that goes back to having you know, one of the things over the over the past few years that has started to fade away is more of the traditional style point guard. And I do think one of the things that, that the benefit of having one of those guys is at the end of the game, you can just give him the ball and say, we trust you and we think you're going to get us a good shot. And that's what Chris Paul has done the entire season for them. And I think a quote he gave after the their game one um, against the Pelicans was really, um, was really telling, you know, he said, it was something along the lines of like just because i don't shoot don't think i can't shoot and that that's something i think that's going to help phoenix a lot is when when he gets into that mid-range jumper towards the end of the game it's as close to automatic as any jump shot is going to be and obviously booker is a guy that can go create his own shot as well but the the reason to me that i think the suns are are going to be such a difficult team to knock out in the playoffs is because of the leaps that guys like Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson have made because it makes them so much better defensively and you really can't, you know, you think about all these teams, um, you know, I, I I think back to the the Thunder when um, they had Durant and Westbrook and Andre Roberson was sitting in the corner. So it was just so easy to help off. The Suns have none of those guys like you, you can't help off Booker, you can't help off Paul because Cam Johnson is sitting in the corner who's an automatic three point shooter. So they have such a good mix of role players and then high-end talent that can carry you in the clutch. Like I I would be surprised if they didn't make it out of the West and it'll be tough. Uh, It'll be a tough series once they get to the finals. But yeah, to me, they're the overwhelming favorite in the West. Um, And the the other thing I'll add about the, you know, the Clippers and the Pelicans is um, does, is Sam Presti the goat for giving uh, Paul George COVID to bump the Thunder's odds from 15 to 12? On lottery night, that's just a question people were asking. I just had to throw it out there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> how did they think Sam Presti gave Paul George COVID? <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just <laughs> messing around. But that's funny. They,
1: but hey, they did they did move from 15 to 12, and now they they have a, another seven percent chance at getting a getting a top pick. So I was I was definitely cheering against the Clippers throughout yeah. the playing tournament.
0: I wonder if if that is not a blessing in disguise for the Clippers, honestly, because they're not whole you know Kawhi obviously is their best player not there paul george was still coming back so in a way i wonder if if it wasn't better just be like okay we'll have a full off season under our belt we'll get ready for next year and there was still the
1: the question to, Go ahead. sorry the question to me is was Kawhi close to coming back yeah like if he if he wasn't close then it's like okay it doesn't really matter like even though we don't have our pick we weren't going to make a run anyways like let's just get healthy for next year um Speaking of Presti, in his exit interview with the Thunder today, he said he thought the Clippers had as good of a chance as anybody to win win a championship in the next three years. He said he thought that was the most talented roster in the NBA. So that that gives you an indication of what people around the league are thinking of this roster now with, with the additions like Norman Powell and Robert Covington. But if Kawhi was coming back and was somewhat close to being ready, then, I mean, the West was wide open. Like, it would have been really tough to get through Phoenix in the first round but after that I mean they could have beaten anybody so that that's what we'll never know because you just never know anything about Kawhi Leonard it doesn't really matter what is going on but that that's what I would be interested to find out
0: yeah it would have been really interesting if they would have won the Timberwolves game what would have happened because they would have gotten to play Memphis and I I do agree there that's a real chance I do agree there they could have they could have made some noise the thing is is I I don't Know if Kawhi coming back would have been a good thing, and I say that because if you went, you're you're banking on winning at that point. You know what I mean? Like if they come, if he comes back and they lose, like what was it for? So I don't mind them just waiting till next year and being like, okay, we'll we'll make a full. And like you talked about the roster there. So, uh, but to get back to the Phoenix series, yeah, I and you mentioned that team. What makes them so impressive, like you said, is that there's so many options for scoring. Like Bridges, Ayton, and Jay Crowder. Although, hey, talk about the stat line last night. 1-1-1-1, first time <laughs> ever. Uh, that was for Jay Crowder. But they, they have guys who can all score double digits and then throw in Johnson and Shaman off the bench and, and people like that. So, yeah, I don't see them losing until... Unless Luka goes ballistic, If the if the the uh, Mavs win, but yeah, I don't see yeah. that. Well,
1: and let's go, let's talk about that now, because that game, yeah. that game's wrapped up now. Jalen Brunson just knocked off the Jazz with 40, 41. He just dropped 41 on the Jazz and has even this series up at one apiece. Um, I'm a big Luka fan. I was discouraged after the first game. You know, he's still, he's missed the first two games of the series, still in street clothes on the sideline tonight, but they still won without Luca out on the court and now the series is even at 1-1 going back to Utah um for game three do you think the Mavs have a chance in this series now and how many games can they go without Luca before before it kind of becomes a lost cause
0: well <laughs> it's funny you phrase a question like that because if Luka comes back in game three the series is over this I, I believe this series is over right now if Luka comes back in game three for, and the Mavs are winning because the Jazz are already a broken team. Like We know nobody likes each other in that locker room. Um, and I think it's almost like it's more of like at this point, like they don't like each other because we say they don't like each other. <laughs> like Donovan Mitchell has to hear all the time that he doesn't like Rudy Gobert, and Rudy Gobert hears the same thing, and I think they kind of believe it. And they they played like a team that knows they're not good enough. And this was their chance. Like, they got game one. But you can't beat the Mavs when their starting five was Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock, Dwight Powell, Brunson, and Dinwiddie. You can't beat that team. Like, that is embarrassing. I mean, it's straight up. And so if Luca comes back, I think the series is over. Now, if he doesn't come back, I think the Jazz will win game three because they're at home Um, but that's the only thing that that would I guess make me go back on my statement is that the Jazz now get the next two games at home and you don't know how Luke is going to look on the road but I will say I think this more tells I'm more think the Mavs have a good chance to win because of the Jazz's inadequacies so I yeah I'll I'll be interested to see what you think about that
1: yeah, I think I would add an asterisk to your statement. I think that's kind of what you were implying, anyways. But I think if Luca comes back healthy, yeah, this year, like and is hundred percent, then this series might be a wrap. Like if if he comes back and he's hobbling around, you know, I I will say there might not be a player in the NBA that's more well suited to come back and kind of just limp around because he can just throw his body into people, anyways. Like he he doesn't necessarily rely as much on his quickness and his speed as other guys. So I do think he can still be effective even if he's not moving around um, at hundred percent, but yeah, I mean, this Utah team just doesn't like each other very much. And especially with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. And I think it's going to be interesting to follow this as the, as the off season approaches, because, you know, Dallas has already indicated that they'd be a team that would be really interested in acquiring Gobert. And th- it's going to be really difficult for Utah to figure out what they want to do, because, I think naturally obviously you want to keep Mitchell he's the younger player um he's more talented probably but Gobert may not fetch you a ton on the open market and then at that point you have a very, you have an older roster with Mitchell what what are you building for you know at that point if you trade Gobert a year later are you just going to be looking to deal Mitchell as well and then completely hit the reset button so I think that's going to be difficult and they're going to have to consider you know if New York or whoever comes in with a a Godfather offer for Mitchell? Do you just accept that and try to reset your your roster in the coming future? So that's going to be interesting to follow. You know, I, Gobert and Mitchell just seem to not like each other enough to where I'd be surprised if this roster looks the same come next year. But I mean, if Luca doesn't come back, they could very easily go into the second round and um, you know maybe they give Phoenix a
0: decent series. If I'm Donovan Mitchell, I've always been a fan of his my my i walk into the jazz front office whoever you got to talk to this offseason and i say you either pick me and you get rid of gobert or i'm gone like that's that's my ultimatum because it doesn't it's not it's not gonna work it's not like that what have they proven that this could work i mean I, and it doesn't matter what you put around him the thing with gobert is that he's a great defender great regular season player but you have to make up for him with so much other perimeter scoring, you know, length or whatever you want to say. And the Jazz don't have that. Like, you know, Royce O'Neill, Mike Conley, they're not going to get it done. And so he's a liability on the court in the playoffs. So yeah, he needs to go to a team where he is like the fourth option and he is just a, a, a rim runner and defender. Because, I mean, let's look at the stats tonight. You know, Mitchell at 34, which is acceptable um and then gobert had eight and conley had zero and so like that's just not enough behind mitchell so yeah if i'm him i'm going in the front office i'm saying forget about it you know you got to get rid of gobert we got to start over Uh, and that's how they move forward from here but i think you know we'll we'll think about them if they end up you know keep going forward winning let's talk about the mavs if luca comes back healthy we're talking about kind of talking about this off air you know, the Mavs as a whole, not that good. But with Luka, it changes the dynamic. Uh, obviously, they get the Suns in the second round, which kind of is a bummer. But how legitimate of a chance do they have to make a run in the playoffs?
1: That's the problem to me is they play the Suns. I think if Luka – like, if you gave me a bracket at the beginning of the playoffs – and Luca was healthy. I think I would have picked them to beat everyone in the West except Phoenix, honestly. I think Luca to me has been underrated in how ridiculously good he's been in the playoffs in his first two years in the playoffs. And because they played the Clippers both years, not a great matchup for Dallas. Um, he was still dominant. I think he's averaged 33, 8, and 9 over the course of his playoff career. Um, He hasn't been able to get out of the first round yet, but I don't think that is any indication on the level he's played um, throughout his playoff career. I think they're a different team now. They're better. Um, They've improved defensively a lot with Jason Kidd as head coach, and they also don't have to worry about Porzingis anymore, which um, was a deal that had a lot of people scratching their heads at the deadline. But Dinwiddie has somewhat revitalized, and at least Bertans is another option to stretch the floor. I think Dallas has to be looking back and, be very glad that they made that move at the deadline as well. So, yeah, I think I think this team is good enough um, and has enough role players around Luka to where um, I, I think they can beat anyone in the West. It's just a shame that if they do get out of the first round, it's probably going to be Phoenix in the next round because you know we already talked about how good we think Phoenix is.
0: Yeah, I do think it's funny um, that Luca the not me, me and you me and you have been on this argument that the last two years. Luka has been probably the best player in the playoffs and unfortunately ran into the the Clippers both times. And it's funny this year that he probably, I think now will get out of the first round and he didn't even play in the first two games in that series. And then he's going to have to play Phoenix. So it's like, it's like he's, he can't win. So uh, I don't know, you know what to think about them against the Suns. but yeah, it's probably, it, it probably will come to an end, but I think he's just so dynamic that, He'll make it a series, like whether they get swept or not, it'll be an entertaining series. And- well, that's that's why I just want
1: to see him is because, you know, even if they get losing five, there's going to be a game where he has like 45 and 12. And it's just like, he's just so fun to watch. And to me, the thing that would really dictate that series, you know, tonight Maxi Kleba, I think was seven of nine from three. Mm-hmm. Um, Last year in the playoffs, the games where they gave the Clippers um really tough games were games where Tim Hardaway or guys like that caught fire. That's what they're going to have to get in order to be able to get past Phoenix, because Luca is going to create open shots for your guys. He he always does that. He he just commands too much respect from the defense not to. So guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba, those type of guys, if they're shooting the ball well, then Dallas can be a very good offense. And defensively, they've been pretty solid all year. Um, so I think that's the recipe. But um, those guys are not you know guaranteed lockdown or knockdown shooters. So. That's going to be a difficult ask.
0: All right, let's move on to the last West series that we have to talk about. Uh, As we've kind of been talking, the Warriors have gone on a a Warriors run here um, and opened up an eight-point lead in game two right before halftime. I think I I don't – I'm not an overreaction guy, but I will say – I'm overreacting to the first games from both the series that I saw. And, and I mean the Grizzlies and in, in this series. No matter what happens in the Grizzlies series, I think the Warriors are going to are gonna kill them. Whoever comes out. I, I just believe that. I think that it's scary that in game one, they looked as good as they did in sync offensively. And Curry just came back. Draymond just came, is still in. Clay hasn't been playing. They're only going to get better and better in the playoffs. And obviously, like when you have those types of shooters, they're going to go on runs. So I'm going ahead and calling it now that they're going to be in the, they're going to be in the conference finals, uh, I, I believe. And it's scary for the Suns because if this team puts it together all the way, they are the best offensive team in the league. And so that's what it has to be concerning for the Suns. And I do think the Suns are a better overall team at this point. But, you know, it's sad also for the Nuggets because poor Jokic, man. He he got the short end of the stick once again in the playoffs. But, I, I mean, I don't know. What's your take on the Warriors and, and how good they can be?
1: I think you can literally just clip, like, the five minutes we did on Tyrese Maxey for this and just repeat it about Jordan Poole. And that's basically my outlook on the Warriors. Like it's to me, it's the same exact thing. Where if if he can play at the level that he did in Game One throughout the playoffs, Golden State can can get out of the West and can win the finals. Because Clay has, you know, Clay had a good Game One, but he's Clay is still not you know prime Clay from um, from before the injury. So I do think Golden State kind of needs this second. I don't want to say star because Clay's, Clay's probably still looked at as a star, but they need this second option that can really create off the dribble, especially in the minutes where Steph is not playing. And one thing that just stands out about Poole, and it is it is similar to Maxi, it's just how fast that guy is coming around screens. You know, this Golden State motion offense is based so much around dribble handoffs and just continuing to move the ball, and Poole is just so fast and athletic that he makes it impossible for guys to keep up with him coming around screens. And then he's also a really effective player in transition. And I think he, he can provide a spark for them, um, especially if you're not getting 100% clay in this playoffs. So, yeah, I think I think Golden State has a really good chance. I'm I'm a little less hesitant to write off Memphis. I do think there's something to be said for how dominant they were in the regular season. Um, I, I think I, – I, I just really like Minnesota, so I think Minnesota can give them – a good series, but I I don't think Golden State will just run over Memphis. Um, but I st- I think I would still favor them at this point.
0: Yeah, and you made a good point there about Clay Thompson and and Jordan Poole. I think they're like the combined star, if you will. Like they they, they yeah. have to work in tandem off of Curry. Obviously, Curry is kind of working himself back in. But once again, the the reason they're so good is not necessarily because well, all three individual players are great, but it's like when you have that set of pieces on the floor, it just creates such a problem for the defense because they don't all need the ball. In fact, they are better without the ball because that's when they actually do their work to get open. So that's what's so scary is that if those guys are screening for each other, like I don't know what you do as a defense and and especially if they're shooting the ball well, you pretty much just have to hope and pray that they miss. Um, so... From the Nuggets perspective, obviously, I want to frame this in the correct way. It's unfortunate Porter Jr. and Murray are hurt and and everything like that. But, you know, what is, Jokic, what is the Nuggets' plan to to win this series? Is it just let – or try. Is it let Jokic just do everything?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you should just enjoy the MVP ceremony coming up soon, and that's probably about it. Like, I don't know. I just – Denver is not; they just don't have enough talent. I mean, Jokic would have to go absolutely nuclear for, for them to have a chance. And especially, I, I don't think they match up particularly well against Golden State. Like, I don't think they really have the guards to chase all these guys around, um, throughout throughout. You know, even you think back to teams that gave Golden State problems, like the Rockets. They were able to switch everything, uh, one through five. Jokic is not. You know, Jokic is not switching onto Steph Curry on the perimeter. Like, that's not that's not how he plays. That's not how the Nuggets play. So yeah I don't think they match up very well. Um it, it's ridiculous that people are going to use this against Jokic I'm sure when Giannis and Embiid are in the second round and he wins the MVP it's going to be oh you know Jokic couldn't make it out of the first round yet he gets another MVP even though no one alive was picking the Nuggets to win this series before. So yeah, I don't know. I think the the Nuggets don't match up particularly well they're also missing their second and third best players and most teams in the playoffs if they didn't have their second and third best players wouldn't be very good so yeah it is what it is Um, just it but I I don't think it should take away from the great regular season Jokic had because um, he was still one of the most fun players to watch and putting up ridiculous stat lines every night
0: yeah I agree with you and and unfortunately for Jokic it's just the reason he won MVP this year is also the reason he's going to lose in the the playoffs, <laughs> because yeah. he's all they got. Yeah. Like he has to carry them, and so you can't hold that against him, because you know he is the most valuable player on that team. Like they they, you know, you're, the next best player is legitimately Will Barton. I mean, I, Aaron Gordon. Maybe, Aaron, Maybe Gordon. Aaron Gordon. I think it's Aaron. Gordon. Like I mean, so. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Great, like of, of course the Warriors are going to win. So yeah, there will be no Nikola Jokic slander on this podcast. Or if we if I find you on Twitter adding me about that, that will come after you because yeah, I mean, you can't blame the guy for for losing in the first round. All right, uh, let's go. Well, let's start, we'll, let's pick the West really quickly while we're at it. So Suns beating the Pelicans obviously. We'll, we'll go through the playoff bracket. Who you got winning the Timberwolves-Grizzlies series? Do you think Minnesota pulls it out, or we like Memphis?
1: Hmm. It's probably the one I would have had to think the longest about. I, I'm going to still say Memphis, but I think it goes seven. Like I, I think Memphis wins a game seven at home. I I, I probably would have said Memphis, Memphis in six before, so I don't want to overreact too much to this one game. It was still very competitive. Um, and it took a great Edwards game, so I still think Memphis will win the series. But um, I do think this has potential to be one of the most entertaining series of the first round.
0: I agree. Yeah, I think it is the series in the West in the West, uh, like yeah. in the first round. Uh, I, I'm going to go Memphis as well. Like I said, I don't think you can overreact overreact to Game One. I think the Timberwolves expose the Memphis' flaw, and that is how are they going to fare against a team that has a, re- a lot of really good scores. I don't know when they're going to see that again in the next round against the warriors. Um, i we both like golden state. We just said that, um, you think Utah has, I, I, the more I think about it, Utah still has a legitimate chance purely because they're going to have the next two games at home, but I like the Mavs. You're going to take the Mavs as well.
1: I'll say if Luca plays by game four, I'll take the Mavs. Okay. Um, If he doesn't, I think if he's out the next two games, I think Utah probably wins both of them. Um, And then you're looking at needing a miracle. So I'll kind of give a contingent pick there, but yeah, I don't, I guess I'll take the jazz just because it doesn't sound super optimistic on his injury, but yeah, I mean, it really all does depend on that. Um, And then, yeah, I'm assuming we're both taking Phoenix probably in four. Like that's, that one's not going to be super competitive.
0: Yeah. All right, so let's let's go to the finals then. So I'll, I'll go ahead and just run through mine uh, because, you know, what's the fun of not picking and then looking back and being wrong? I'll say Phoenix, obviously, I think they win second round, go to the, the conference finals pretty easily. I think Golden State, I just said, makes it there. That's going to be, to me, I'll go ahead and say it. I think that'll be the best series in the playoffs. If Golden State is right. If Golden State is right and they look like they're getting there, like the Phoenix Warriors series, it would have been better early in the year when everybody was healthy, but that's going to be such a amazing scoring, you know, series that I think it's going to be the best in the playoffs. I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead and say and be different than everybody and say Golden State's going to win and go to the finals, because if I pick okay. Phoenix and then and like it happens, it's like ah, oh, it's boring. And so yeah, I'll pick Golden State.
1: I think I'm I think I'm think going to end up on the other end, and I think my hot take might be that Phoenix doesn't have a series that lasts more than five games mm. until the NBA Finals. Um,
0: I could see that I think, happening. I could.
1: Like, I just – with how dominant they've been in the regular season, generally teams with this type of profile just make it – they just make it to the Finals. Like, that's just what happens. And that's not to say Golden State couldn't um, – you know, get really hot. I still think, you know, their, their peak is, um, is one that can be a finals team, but Phoenix to he has just shown it all season. Um, they're healthy right now. They're, um, they're ready to perform. I Maybe Chris Paul got his injury out of the way before the playoffs. Cause you know, that's, that's always something you you're going to need to worry about with him as the season goes on. Um, but yeah, I think I would, I would go Phoenix over Golden State. Um, but yeah, pretty similar. All
0: right. Well, Maybe we'll talk about that series when it actually gets there. Maybe we'll break it down X's and O's because I think that's going to be a really good one. Let's head back out east to wrap up our playoff discussion. Uh, Let's start with the – we already mentioned the Sixers-Raptors because that game was tonight. But let's talk about Bucks and Bulls because I was of the opinion coming in, and I think a lot of people – this is going to sound – this is ironic – are bullish on the the Bucks (laughs) because we saw what they did last year and – it's like, well, there we know they can be this good team. Like they they won the finals, like they'll just cakewalk, you know, through the Bulls. I don't think this is as good of a team as it was last year. Giannis is better, but that doesn't mean the team is better. Um, and I think Chris Middleton is not playing as well as he was last year. Obviously, he can get to that point, but I thought the Bulls were going to just get steamrolled and they actually made that series a game or made that made that game interesting that was poorly worded made that game interesting and the sad thing is that they made it a low scoring game which i think i thought would favor them because i thought they would have to score a lot but i think it was bad that they didn't win it because now the bucks are going to play a lot better like they're not playing that bad again so i do think they end up winning pretty easily either in four or five games but I think it was interesting from a greater perspective that the Bucks may not be as ironclad as we thought they were. Dude,
1: this box score makes me want to throw up. <laughs> the Bulls, DeRozan shot six for 25. Like, after, oh man, that's so bad. Like, the whole year, DeRozan, I mean, DeRozan had a great year, but he's known to be a guy that just hasn't been that good in the playoffs. And then six for 25 in your first game, and this game was winnable, like, as you mentioned, the Bucks were not good offensively. Like Drew Holiday was six for sixteen, Chris Middleton was four for thirteen. Like this was the one game I think the Bulls could have won. Um, this feels like a sweep to me now. Mm-hmm. Like this, I mean, the Bulls played horrible, and the I mean, the Bucks didn't play well either. But the Bulls haven't been a good team for the last two months of the regular season. Um, they're still missing Lonzo Ball. That's certainly been a um, a big loss for them. And yeah, I think the Bucs kind of got their bad game out of the way here. Like this, I don't know. I, that, that's going to be really frustrating as a Bulls fan to have. I mean, Vucevic is nine for 27. Levine is six for 19. Like those are all horrible stat lines, and that's your three best players. So you just can't win in a game like that. I mean, I don't, I don't think they'll shoot like that again, but I don't think the Bucs will shoot that bad again either. So um, definitely an ugly first game. I think the, I think the Bulls will really struggle to defend Giannis as the series goes on. Um, Vucevic is gonna you know, it's just a tough time for Vucevic in the paint as well. So yeah, this this series feels over to me. Yeah.
0: No one on the Bucks made more than two threes. That ain't happening again. Like those those shooters yeah. are too good. So I yeah, I think you're right. How embarrassing it was for the Bulls is that Giannis apologized after the game for their performance. And they won by yeah. seven. They won by seven and he apologized. Yeah,
1: that sounds like Nick Saban yeah. against like Mercer where it's like, sorry, we played, we played bad, but no, it's a playoff game. Like that just can't happen.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I agree with you. I think the bad game is out of the way for the Bucks and and they will take this more seriously. I am nervous that that spells for trouble down the road that maybe this offense is going to have a couple of games where they're just not that good. And the thing is, is the Bulls' defense is not... I mean, they have Alex Caruso, but that's it. I mean, so, like, DeRozan and Levine and Vucevic are not stalwart. You don't think of them as good defenders. So, when they play the Celtics' defense in the second round, which I'm going to manifest because I'm a Celtics fan, then I think that's going to... Like, what happens when you have an off night, right? So, that's what scares me about the Bucks. Is like, obviously, I don't think they'll shoot this bat every night, but I do think that... Like Giannis is not, you know, he's prone to have off scoring nights because he's not always the most efficient scorer. He's not, you know, he can't shoot. So anyways, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But I, I'm definitely on that's a sweep train as well. Um, got any more thoughts on that series before we move on? I think it's pretty cut and dry.
1: Yeah, I think the one thing I'll add is that because the Bucks won the title last year, I think sometimes we forget how difficult that playoff run was for yeah. them, especially in the Nets series they did not shoot the ball well at all. And they were able to finally get things to click, especially Giannis, you know, from the free throw line in terms of efficiency, dropping 50 in the last game against the Suns to clinch the finals. But this is not a team that was elite offensively throughout all of last year's playoffs. And so I'm interested to see if they were able to get over that hump last year and kind of put those struggles to bed, or if that's going to be something that continues to creep up again as these playoffs go on. Right.
0: That's a really good point. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's, We'll see. I think the Bucks, like I said, everything the narrative is always different when you have had success. And but you're right. Like if Kevin Durant, what if the Bucks or the Nets had beaten the Bucs last year? You know? Like what would we be talking about? Yeah. What if Exactly So it's just really hard, hard to, you know, play that what if game. Um, let's move to the one seed. The Miami Heat played the Atlanta Hawks. Didn't talk about them in the play-on tournament. I'm actually of the belief that. The Cavs had a great regular season. I don't. I think the Hawks are a better team. I really do. The Cavs are a couple couple years away, and this the Hawks team is the one that made the conference finals last year. And I, I think that was fluky a little bit, but at the same time, they earned that. And you look at the talent up and down this roster. Like they have a really good starting five, obviously with with Trey Young, you know DeAndre Hunter, Gallinari, Capella. They have good bench players. So. I was of the belief coming into the, you know, Trey Young took over, did his thing against Cleveland. I was of the belief coming into the Miami series, they had a they had a shot to compete. And I think what happened personally is that when you play two games before going into Miami who has been well rested, like that was just a recipe for just Miami was going to come out and just steamroll them. So I'm not actually I don't think like Atlanta is just out of this series yet. But let's, you know, let's talk about it a little bit. Like how much stock do you put in Miami being the one seed throughout the season and that carrying over to the playoffs?
1: Yeah, I was, I'm probably a little higher on Miami than most people. Um, just cause I think they have so many different guys on their team that can, um, that can help you down the stretch. You know, I think Lowry helps them a lot just having another guy that can move the ball and score um, on any given night. But yeah, I, I think this definitely was a schedule loss from the get go. Like the, the Hawks had played um, two nights before and then they get in, and they have the early game um, on that day. So yeah, tough, tough game to go into for the Hawks. You know, the one thing I look at too is Clint, you know, Clint Capella goes down in the playing game. So they're losing him and then you it's John Collins first game back. So Collins only played 20 minutes, uh, 21 minutes. and was actually a plus two in the minutes he played. Um, no other Hawk that played meaningful minutes in that game was better than a minus 17. So with Collins on the court, the Hawks actually weren't a terrible team in that game, but he was only able to play 20 minutes. And that led to, you know, Onyeko Any- Okongwu, who's a guy I like, but maybe not ready for playoffs against the heat um, having to play 20 minutes. Um, even, you know, a lot of those, they had to play small. Sometimes Gallo played 30 minutes. Like that's probably more than you'd want, hope for him to play um, against the heat. So, Collins, if Collins can ramp up a little more, I do think he's essential for them, especially to match up against Bam with a little bit more athleticism. Yeah. But yeah, go ahead.
0: Um, I was just going to say, I think he's important because he kind of is the, he makes Bam work harder. Like if John Collins comes back, that's going to be a matchup that Bam has to worry about a little bit more. Capella got hurt in game one. I, I haven't actually, I didn't, I think they said, he'll be evaluated in like a week or so maybe and he's gonna miss at least like the next three or four games so that is kind of a big deal although i don't know how well he matches up on the floor with the heat but yeah i think you're right you know miami they're one of those teams that's like everybody always says like oh it's the pat riley factor it's Eric bolster like the heat culture and so if they do bad, it's like, well, they're not that good. It's just, you know, but then if they're good, it's like they can't win. So you're right. I think we undervalue them a little too much. And they talent-wise, they are, you know, they have it up and down the roster, you know, right there with anybody. I mean, when you have Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson coming off your bench, like that's that's great. I just, once again, I've said this throughout the season when we have talked about them, I don't know where they – where they match up against the elite teams because I you know they don't have like that go-to score that I just say put the ball in I know he's going to give me a bucket I mean and you could argue that Butler could can do it and maybe you know Adebayo can score well enough but I mean are you going to rely on Tyler Hero to be your late game closer I, I don't know and so that's what gives me pause I will say they actually got the the they got. I mean, as the one seed, you figure this to be true, but they got lucky that the Sixers, to me, are the four seed because I think they match up better with Philadelphia than they do Boston or or Brooklyn or Milwaukee. So yeah, I definitely think they have a good chance to make it to to the conference finals as well. And I think it would just be interesting to see how Trey plays in Atlanta. He had a really bad game one, but if they can, you know, make some noise in Atlanta, I think that could be a be a series.
1: Yeah, I mean. In a, any game where Duncan Robinson goes eight for nine from three, like you're probably in trouble. Like that's just – I don't know how you catch up to that from an efficiency standpoint. And then, yeah, I mean, Trey has to take more than 12 shots. I mean, obviously he was one for 12, so maybe you don't want him taking more in that game. But um, he's got to take more than 12 shots for Atlanta to um, to have a chance. You know, if he's not in double digits, then you're in trouble. So that, that's the most interesting thing that I, I want to see in game two is – how Trey is able to adapt to the heat defense because we know how versatile they are. We know how much they make you work on the pick and roll. And especially when he doesn't have his lob threat and Clint Capella available, that's going to make things more difficult for him as well. So I would, I would look for, you know, guys like Herder and Bogdanovich to maybe try to take some of that load off of him uh, a little bit and play, make, play, make a little bit themselves. But in the end, it's going to come down to how effective Trey can be.
0: Yeah. I think the heat defense is important because they are so good. That they're going to keep them in any series automatically, and I think that's what will neutralize the Hawks at in the end is that that defense is just too good. But yeah, offensively is what scares me there. All right, we saved the best series for last in the first round, in my opinion. The Celtics and Nets. Everybody was talking about Game One. Obviously, great ending on my side, Celtics. What a what a I mean, I I, I think that was like the coaching aspect of that end was was what was beautiful to me is that how often do we see, you know, a team get a rebound in that situation and call a timeout and that play at the end of the game. We're not really talking about the series here, but just wanted to talk about this last play. Uh, that was allowed purely because he didn't call a timeout because I think the Nets were kind of expecting it and they're like, Oh no, we got to go back and play defense. And they were kind of expecting just the clock to run out. And instead the Celtics worked the ball around. And I mentioned earlier Kevin Durant just was like he looked up at the clock like please just run out and he let Tatum cut right by him and it's it's like well you're that's how you lose the game so that was pretty cool I like Emei there you know not calling time out overall but I think this is the best series in the first round for sure we could talk about a lot here but what did you see from game one that is predictive of, of what we're going to see in this series yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and
1: address the elephant in the room because I think the most inter- interesting thing everyone wanted to see was how Kyrie would play in Boston. And clearly he was feeding off the energy a lot more than it was affecting him. You know, he had 39 points, um, 12 of 20 from the field, 6 of 10 from three. And I do think this is encouraging for Brooklyn because I, I think most people um, did favor the Celtics in this series. I think the Celtics obviously have the more complete team and the better roster. But in a game where Durant was 9 for 24 from the field, you were able to give Boston a really competitive game. Um, I think they reminded everybody you know, why, why they almost beat Milwaukee last year in the playoffs. And um, that doesn't necessarily mean the Nets are definitely going to win this series or anything. But um, I think they proved they can be competitive. I think Kyrie proved he's, um, he's ready for, for this moment with the Boston crowd and everything that entails um and so it'll be interesting to see how he comes out for game two in response to that but yeah great execution by the celtics at the end and i i'm not sure there's a celtics fan alive that expected marcus smart to pass that ball with three seconds left compared to just jack up a three so that was impressive from smart just to have the awareness to make that pass
0: yeah because like it felt like tom was moving really slow and like he caught them all with three seconds. So yeah, what player has the presence of mind to not do that, but ama- amazing right there and, and good cut by Tatum as well. There's a lot you can take away from game one in this series in general. And what I saw, you know, obviously I watched the game all the way through, but the Celtics did things that both made me very excited for what this team could be. And they also did some things that terrify me because they, the Celtics missed a lot of layups. I don't know how much you watched it, but Brown did not play well. They missed a lot of shots at the rim, so they left points out there, which is encouraging, but also I'm like, the bench is really bad, (laughs) so they kind of scare me with that. On the other side of the ball, I really liked what they did late in the game at the end. I think that last defensive possession was amazing, and some of the things they did throughout the game, you know, on the telecast, they said this, like, it sounds backwards, but if you make Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving take every shot down the floor, that's a win because it's when they're cooking and yet they get other guys involved. That's scary. Like you can live with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving scoring 30 every game, as long as those other guys aren't doing well. So I think that's what the Celtics found success with success with is they have the athletes to compete with Kevin Durant. And when he is the main focal point of the offense, it sounds insane because he's the best scorer on the planet. But that is when, when Kevin Durant is the one who is isolating over and over again, and that's how they're running their offense, that's good for the Celtics. What scares me half to death is when Kyrie is running the offense because he not only can score any way he wants, but he gets to the rim, he, make, he draws help, he passes. And so that's when the Nets are, to me, most dangerous is Kevin Durant, even though he can score in every way, he wants to pull up and shoot jumpers. And he would rather not go to the rim. And that's what I took away from game one. So I think Kyrie Irving is the key to this series and it kills me to say that because the Celtics had him and I'm like, I don't, I don't, I'm glad he's gone, but now I'm like, now he's killing us. So I really, really hope that that he doesn't keep killing us because yeah, that was a really impressive performance in game one.
1: Yeah. I think the biggest key for Boston is if they can get a few more Al Horford performances like the one he had, because He had an awesome game. He had 15 rebounds. He had 20 points. Even on that last defensive possession, you saw how active he was in helping onto Kyrie and then getting back into position and then getting over and helping again when Kyrie tried to drive for a second time. And he's such a versatile defender. You know, he's a guy that can um, help onto guards but also stay on bigs. And Grant Williams was um, much more ineffective So you're going to have to, it looks like you're going to have to play Horford a good amount in this series. And if he can continue to be versatile defensively, that's a really big plus for Boston with Robert Williams still being out at this point. So that's, that's something I would be interested to follow. um, As the series goes on, but yeah, I think this is going to be a really fun series. And I, I, I mean, this feels like one that's going seven.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. And and like I said, there's so much to talk about in this series, both teams, are thinking down the road about what if for the Celtics you're missing probably your most important defensive player. I know smart, which we said we were going to talk about this, but smart just won defensive player of the year. But as far as overall team defense, like Robert Williams is probably the most important piece. And like Nick Claxton kind of had his way with the Celtics in game one. And that would be eliminated from Robert Williams. And he'd also, he's, he's able to switch on to anybody along with Horford. So, and then if you're the Nets, you're thinking, what if Ben Simmons comes back? So that's also another interesting dynamic is what happens if either one of those players actually plays in the series, which I expect Simmons to. I I think he's going to try uh, either in Brooklyn or when they come back to Boston. But, you know, I don't know. What's your thought? Let's start with Simmons there. We know what Robert Williams does for the Celtics, and I think he'll only help them. But what does Simmons do for the Nets if he plays?
1: Yeah, I think I don't know if like if I was working for ESP and they'd probably fire me for saying this, but I think both these like additions are pretty boring. Like I think we know what Robert Williams is going to bring for the Celtics. We've seen it all year. Um, obviously it's a big jump. You know, you you get to remove all the tice minutes, which hopefully is helpful for the Celtics. But with Simmons, I think I think it's naive to think he's gonna show up shooting hitting jump shots, but it's also naive to think he's not gonna be helpful at all because um, you know, Brooklyn is, while very talented offensively, a lot of these guards they have to play um, just don't have very much size. You know, Seth Curry and Patty Mills and Goran Drogic, those, those guys are not um, players that can defend bigger wings, you know, like Jalen Brown. And Simmons, to me, just gives you another body you can throw at these guys. Um, it probably gives Durant a little bit more of an opportunity to rest on the defensive side of the ball in some possessions as well. Um as you continue to, you know, use Bruce Brown defensively as well. So I think I think Simmons is going to be an addition. You know, I've heard some people saying, like, oh, I don't even think he makes an impact. I, I think he comes in as more of a role player. I don't think he comes in as a superstar by any means. But I don't see how that addition doesn't help the Nets, especially with um, with the current state they're in right now. Yeah.
0: What, yeah, and what Simmons does, and you made a good point, is I don't think – we saw this last does Simmons care if he's a star? Like, I don't think he wants to score. Especially yeah coming off a long layoff, like he's not gonna care about scoring. Where he scares me is like defensively the Nets are not that good. Like they're just not. They don't have a single good defensive player on the roster, really. Like maybe Bruce Brown. I don't know. And
1: Durant's also a good defender well, But, he just but doesn't.
0: Durant doesn't try enough. Like yeah. he's kind of turned into LeBron where he, he's a good defender that picks his spots. So I don't think – that. And
1: I think this is what you learn, and, and people, you know, when it's LeBron, it's different because it's LeBron, and LeBron is so polarizing. But th- there are almost no players. It was the same thing. The same thing happened with Kawhi. I may have talked about this on the podcast before. It is almost impossible to be the number one offensive option, play over 40 minutes, create everything for your offense, and then also go back and play elite defense. This happened to Kawhi, where for a couple years he – Toronto asked him to do more offensively and no one wanted to acknowledge the fact that Kawhi wasn't this dominant best defender in the NBA anymore because everyone was trying to say he was the best two-way player and better than LeBron. But in reality, you know, he wasn't the best defender on that Raptor, those Raptors teams that, you know, guys like OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, those were, those guys were increasing their roles as Kawhi Leonard became more of the number one offensive option. And that's not to say he's not great defensively still, but it's almost impossible to keep your defense at that high of a level. And so I think that's one thing that Simmons can help with a lot is like Durant can hopefully get a little bit, get a little bit of that defensive load taken off of him um, as well. But yeah, I think, you know, you think about the way the Nets use Bruce Brown offensively. It's a lot of screens, you know, he plays in the dunker spot. Some he's not a great shooter. That to me is what Simmons fits right in with. And maybe it takes some time for him to get used to playing with these guys offensively, but if there's anybody it's going to be easy to fit in with this it's this roster
0: yeah yeah and that's what that's what makes me nervous is that the celtics don't have a lot of scoring options smart played really well in game one as, as well as horford but if simmons can just come in and play defense on brown or tatum assuming they'll probably put him on tatum like that's big for the nets like that's huge like he can come in and maybe you know create some stops and they can actually you know create some separation from the celtics there that's what scares me about it is not what he does offensively because let's be honest duran and irving are plenty good enough to carry them offensively it's defensively that they need help and i think that's where simmons can really step up and, and do a big job so it'll be interesting to see how the matchups continue to play out i think both teams have things they think they can do better from game one i the celtics honestly if you watch the game like i said they left a lot of points out there So did the Nets. So like Durant didn't play great. He only had 23 on nine of 24 shooting. So obviously he thinks he he can play better, but also does Irving shoot that well? I don't know. That's, and that's what so makes this series so interesting. Um, so let's, let's pick the East as well. Um, this is a lot tougher of a matchup. Last thing I'll say about the Celtics is like, I, I genuinely think the Celtics have an inverted playoff structure. Uh, I think the Bucs are a worse matchup for them than the Nets. I actually do think they match up well with the Nets. But the Celtics' easiest series before the finals, to me, is the the conference finals. Like, I genuinely think that. I think whoever they play, the Heat or the Sixers, if they make it there, are the easiest. So I'll just say that as well. Not saying they're going to beat the Nets. But, you know, let's start with, with Miami and Atlanta. You know, you think Miami comes out of that series pretty unscathed?
1: Yeah, I don't think this one is... Um, I I I don't think it's gonna be as bad as the New Orleans series is gonna be, but like I, I think Atlanta could take this six possibly, but I don't really see any way that they um win the series. And the other thing I'll add really quickly is about this East as a whole. Um, I do think it's really interesting because you look at the West, there's maybe if you love Memphis or you're super high on Dallas, maybe you think there's three teams that can come out of the West. Uh, there's there's five teams to me that can that can come out of the east at this point um and maybe you disagree with me on that but like i think the heat philly milwaukee and whoever comes out of brooklyn or boston you know i think all those five teams have a a real chance to come out of the east so you know this is going to be difficult to pick as we go through here because there's there's a lot of teams that i i think are very even
0: No yeah I agree with you and I especially think because of the road that Philly and Miami have that they're going to be a lot better more rested if you will for that final that conference finals because I could see the Bucks I think will beat the Bulls pretty easily but the Celtics or Nets are probably going to have to play 14-13 games in the first two rounds and so that's going to be difficult for them so I agree with you there. Uh, We'll save the Celtics Nets for last but we we both think the Sixers are going to win, so we won't even talk about that really. We'll, we'll wait, but um, I guess you know we both think the Bucks are going to roll as well, right? So these first round matchups are pretty yeah. easy. So I never mind. Let's skip to Celtics and Nets. You know, in your your opinion, does it does it does game one make it to where the Celtics are the favorite, or you know, the Nets still the Nets have a good chance here?
1: I think I would say Nets in seven, um. I, I was encouraged by some things I saw from Brooklyn in game one. Um, I, I think Simmons coming back obviously makes a difference, but the same can be said for Robert Williams. I think this is a really even series. Um, I, I took Brooklyn coming in, so I'll, I'll stick with that. But, um, but yeah, I, th- I think this goes six or seven at, at minimum, um, and I'm really excited to see how it plays out.
0: Yeah, this is tough. I mean, Celtics had to win game one. I think they had to. So it was big that this- Yeah,
1: if Brooklyn had won game one, I, I would have felt a lot less optimistic about Boston's
0: chances. Yeah, I, I do think that home in a way don't matter as much for the Celtics. Like, I don't think Brooklyn- Yeah, Brooklyn's not a tough place to yeah, play. Brooklyn in. home's crowd is not going to be like brutal. So I think they can win games there. Um, I would say it's tough. I don't. But maybe Kyrie
1: plays worse in yeah, Brooklyn because he's not energized. I, I heard that on fans. the radio
0: today. I heard something. Should the Celtics say something to their fans, like don't egg Kyrie on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like
1: give him some flowers yeah, instead. Like, like,
0: like try to get reverse psychology because it's making him play better. I think. I think he will probably not play as well at Brooklyn. Like, or at least he won't be as dominant. Like they'll be the the other the role players will be more involved. You know. So, yeah. I,
1: I do think you saw, though, like, that last possession that Brooklyn had, Kyrie decided in his brain, like, I'm winning this right Yeah. Now. And he's talented enough to where, like, most guys, like if they tried that the whole game, it would not work out well at all. He's ridiculously skilled enough that he can just decide, like, oh, I'm going to go drop 40 and he can do it. But you still saw at the end of the game, Durant probably should have had the ball earlier in that possession than he did. But Kyrie, you know, dribbles into the trap and then kind of finds his way – into no man's land there. So I do think that kind of showed you the potential downside of it, which is Kyrie decides it's Kyrie time, but he's still good enough to where that's not necessarily a terrible option.
0: That's the one thing that gives me pause. I'm going to pick Celtics, by the way, in seven. And what gives me pause about the Nets is that that possession at the end of the game, Al Horford, I don't know who he was guarding, but he said, forget him. And he literally just, they were doubling Kyrie at the, at the tops. And that's the thing is like the Nets, none of those other guys want to score or even think they're going to get the ball. I don't think a lot of the time. So it's like what happens when Kyrie and Durant have a bad game or the Celtics at the end of the game decide they're going to throw the kitchen sink at you. Like I know Durant is unguardable, like goodness, Mark Jackson, if I had a dollar for every time he said, that's unguardable. when Durant, you know, pulls up and it's true, but like we get it, um, but I, yeah, I that gives me pause for them, and I ultimately think that they just don't play good enough defense. So what? That's why Simmons, I think, actually matters. Like he could change their defense, uh, in, in a way that could win the series. All right, yeah. uh, so we'll move on from there. You got the Nets, I got the Celtics. So just actually, I did it last time. Just I'll put you on the spot first. What? Let, let's finish out your East playoff bracket for me.
1: Yeah, so Miami, Philly, um, I'll take Philly. I think I, I've really liked how they looked coming into the playoffs, and this was a team I was probably a little higher on than most people coming in. Um, I still think Harden can be a difference maker for them, especially if his shot starts to fall. And I think we already talked about the synergy between he and Maxie, but to me, just like the emergence of Jordan Poole for the Warriors, I think these are X factors that can um, help them a lot in the postseason. Um I, I would say that I think um, Bam definitely presents some defensive concerns. You know, Embiid is going to struggle a lot more than he did against Toronto. Um, but I do like Philly in that series. I think I would pick Milwaukee, honestly, against Brooklyn, partially because I think Milwaukee is going to be sitting there relaxing while these teams battle it out in a seven-game series. I think they're going to be much, in much better shape and prepared uh, for that series, and I still think – um milwaukee's in great shape you know they they already faced off against brooklyn last year um and and i think i would take milwaukee to come out of the east again for a finals rematch of uh, phoenix and milwaukee
0: nice nice yeah i think we're pretty similar um i feel so bad because like miami deserved the one seed they played well but i just i don't trust them and um it was funny i'll actually shout him out uh Ben Holloway, who actually I'm, – I'm, his the intro music, the new intro music he made for me, so thank you, Ben. But he texted me asking if we were going to do an NBA playoff, and he's a Heat fan. I just don't see any way that they they win the East. I, I can't see them getting through it. And so I think that they'll frustrate – the one thing I think that would give them – um. A chance in the Philly series obviously they have more than a chance is that they they can frustrate Embiid and then Harden hasn't been playing well and they have the guards to frustrate him as well so I could see them winning that series especially because they have home court advantage but I, I am going to pick Philly as well um, I think we're pretty the same because I want to pick Boston so bad but I don't trust Tatum and Brown I'm sorry as a Celtics fan I still don't trust them enough and Jalen Brown man he he did not play well in Game One, and they still won. So that's, I guess, a good sign. But Milwaukee, I think, like you said, is too good defensively, and I think they're going to be well rested. I would lean Milwaukee in the final round, in the final uh, series, as, or finals as well. But it all depends on how Tyrese Maxey plays. I think, like if if Harden can fi- can get to a respectable level that of Harden's, you know, normalness then I think they can beat the Bucs, but I'll say Milwaukee as well. So I'll have Milwaukee and Golden State, which I think would be a really interesting finals. But um
1: Yeah, I think that'd be fun. A couple of things that I don't know what you said. I would be I'm I think I'm a little more optimistic on Miami than you just because there is something to be said for like all season they were the one seed and they were banged up the whole year. Like their their top guys played almost no games together. So yeah. I think they do have a little bit of untapped potential that you wouldn't really think of with a team like Miami because they don't necessarily have the superstar players. Like with the Nets, I think everybody knows like they were hurt all year. They didn't have, you know, Kyrie didn't play a lot because of vaccination status Durant was hurt. Now they get those guys back. They're different. The heat, you know, maybe they don't take as big of a jump as the Nets do, but they are still getting used to having all their guys healthy and they are healthy now. So I think they do have a chance to come out of the East, but Obviously, I didn't pick them, so I can't say too much about it. Um, and, yeah, I think I think Boston, um, the the point you made about Brown and Tatum, I think it's important to frame that in terms of the context of the rest of the Eastern Conference playoffs. Because I think, you know, if, if you just say, like, oh, I don't trust Brown and Tatum, somebody might ask why. But the question is not, like, do you trust Brown and Tatum? It's do you trust them more than Durant and Kyrie? Yeah. Or do you trust them more than Giannis and – Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton like that's the question you have to answer and to me I agree I think the answer is no
0: yeah I I think Tatum has gotten there and but the problem is is that it's so hard when you're when they're going to throw everything they have at you to stop you and so Brown really has to be on his game and I don't know if that's possible for him I just don't so I I think they 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 get tripped up either in the net series or the buck series but yeah I'm with you Miami don't want to take anything away from them. They've been to a finals recently. Call it a fluke in the bubble, whatever. But to me, I they won their first game by 24, so I can't complain. But I need to see if they play off offense great the rest of the Hawks series, maybe I change my mind. But I need to see it consistently. All right, let's pick the finals here. I think I know which way you're going to go, to be honest. But um, you said you had fans okay, in yeah. Milwaukee.
1: I'm curious who you think I'm going to pick because I I think I actually changed my mind in the time that we've been recording this podcast. But
0: I thought you're i, I going to go Phoenix.
1: Yeah, I am. I as the more we talked it out, especially what really made made me kind of shift my perspective was remembering that Milwaukee's run was not just this cakewalk yeah. to the finals. Like they they did not just fly through the East. It was a big struggle, and yes, Giannis was able to overcome the free throw jitters, drop 50 in game six, and and clinch the title, but I don't want to look back and say that they were some crazy dominant team, and I think Phoenix is that this year. I think they've shown that throughout the regular season. I hope maybe Chris Paul will actually stay healthy. Who knows? Um, I think Phoenix's role players have all taken leaps. Um, Booker seems ready to assert himself on a national stage even if I don't think he belongs in MVP discussions so yeah I'm going to take Phoenix um it feels like this is kind of it feels like this is the year for them um Aiton's a restricted free agent this summer so if their owner is looking to be cheap like he has been for the majority of his time owning the Suns this could be the last time you see DeAndre Aiton in a Suns uniform um Chris Paul's not getting any younger so this feels like their best chance and I think they get it done.
0: I'm with you there. If Phoenix wins, which, like I said, I'm, I don't, I'm not confident the Warriors don't. That's not like, oh, I think they're win, going to win. If the Suns play the Bucks, I think they they beat them because the the Bucks to me personally are worse than they were last year. The Suns are better, and I think that equals in to win. Uh, the thing about the Suns, like you said, is that if they get there, I think they're going to have the the least mileage on them. Wouldn't you agree? Probably, like game wise yeah so i think that gives them an advantage as well um the warriors i don't know i think they'll beat the nuggets in four or five i think i personally think they'll handle whoever comes out of that grizzly series in six maybe five or six um and so it'll all be how long that sun series goes so i i'm gonna say warriors yeah i don't think the bucks repeat i just i don't And I think game one kind of, I'm overreacting again to game one, which I said I don't like to do, but I, they didn't, they didn't look good in game one. So that kind of scares me.
1: Yeah. That's the most interesting thing I think to follow is do they kind of, do they undergo the same evolution they did last playoffs where they kind of found themselves as it went on Mm. or do these struggles last too long to where it's too late for them to fix them? Yeah.
0: I got Golden State. sully has got Phoenix. Which, by the way, I mean, as we've recorded this podcast, my Golden State's looking better and better because they're at about twenty now. So, yeah. you know, hopefully this offense continues because I do think if you know they got three Splash Brothers now and Andrew Wiggins, if he even plays somewhat decent, that that's a really hard offense to stop. Anything else? We- All star starter Andrew yeah, Wiggins, uh, K pop, um fan, I guess. Or like he he's yeah. he's K pop star. You know, they love him apparently. But anyways, anything else we need to talk about uh in the NBA playoffs? Obviously a lot. Oh, we said we were gonna mention uh NBA Defensive Player of the Year. Marcus Smart won for the Celtics. Obviously we've got a lot more awards coming up. Maybe we'll talk about that in a later episode. Um I don't know. That was interesting. I did not think he was going to win, especially being a guard. I I think, I know Doris Burke voted for him. So thank you. Thanks Doris. Um, But I I know you have a different opinion about that. What do you think about smart and more specifically a guard winning the award?
1: Yeah, I just think, I don't know. I think this was like the we're tired of Rudy Gobert award. And if it was, I, I think if Gobert had not won it, for so many years in a row he probably would have won this year um and you know voter fatigue's a thing it happens in all sports and, and with all awards so it's not some shock but I do think you know if you look at any defensive metric um and I think with impact as well it's a regular season award I don't think any player impacts their defense more than go bear on a night-to-night basis yeah for sure and I, I I think the playoffs even bear that out when teams when you look at how bad Utah can be defensively on the perimeter, you know, you think back to that Clippers series, everyone, and I'm not trying to say Gobert was amazing in that series. The the reason Gobert looks so bad is because every single Clippers player has a free lane driving to the hoop whenever they want it, because, you know, whoever it was, Joe Ingles or Bogdanovich, um, can't stay in front of their guy. So I think Gobert deserved the award, but I understand why they want to give it to somebody else. Um, And and I think smart's deserving. Like, I I wouldn't take anything away from smart. But just generally, I do think that big men are more valuable to their team. And I think you even hit on that earlier by mentioning Robert Williams um, as the most valuable defensive player on the Celtics. And I I generally agree with that. I just think big men have more of an ability to impact the game on a play-to-play basis. Um, And that's where you bring in the question of, like, is it most valuable defensive player? Is it best defensive player for the position that they play? Like, that's not really defined. So I, I can't, you know, discredit people for saying they think, you know, Smart might be a better guard defender than Gobert is big. But I think in terms of impact, Gobert is still the most valuable defensive player as much as people may dislike him across the league.
0: Yeah, this is an interesting discussion because I think this is too, like – the smart defensive player of the year to go bear discussion is the same as the Curry to LeBron discussion. And what I mean by that is like people try to compare Curry to LeBron. And it's like, you can't like, you can't Curry physically cannot be as good of a player as LeBron. Like, you yeah, know, he just can't do the yeah, things on. Like basketball you can't, can't ask LeBron a six-three, two 200 pound guy to be the force that LeBron is. And in the same way, you can't ask Marcus Smart to do everything defensively that Gobert can. Now, that doesn't devalue what Gobert can do because it's just like he, like because of his size, not only can he block shots and play defense at the rim, but he also then has the athletic ability to guard on the perimeter. The same thing with Bam Adebayo. I will say Marcus Smart is surprisingly really good at guarding the post. I I watch a lot of Celtics games, so I, yeah, I see yeah, he's it. so strong. Yeah, but he played like he's blocked Giannis consistently in games. So like he he can um he can play down in the post. I don't have a problem with them giving him the award, but I agree with you that I think Giannis, Gobert, and Adebayo are all probably overall better defenders. Like across the board, can do more, but you know. How do you quantify that? So I don't have a problem with it. You brought up Mikhail Bridges as well. He could have easily won the award. Um, so anyways, uh I we'll bring up we've just man, we've just really skipped around on this podcast. We're we're getting to the end. Jordan Poole left off the most improved list. Well is that not a crime?
1: <laughs> I most improved seems so difficult to
0: vote on because there's such a levels of, to because, it, too. Because like
1: Yeah, because the question is like, do you value the leap John ja Morant right. took as more of a leap, even though like Jordan Poole definitely improved more than John ja Morant did, but it's probably harder to make the leap that Ja did than the leap that Jordan Poole did. So I I have no idea how you quantify that. Some years there's a really easy answer to to the award, like you know years Giannis has won it, or there's there's those guys that make massive leaps and it's obvious. But years like this where guys are making different leaps in different stages of their career. I really don't know how you evaluate it because you know there's also guys that second year players. Don't you expect second year players to get a lot better? Like Tyrese Maxey, like shouldn't he get a lot better in his second year? I feel like that's the time that guys make the biggest leap naturally. So yeah, that that's a difficult award to vote on in general, um, and honestly, one that I don't really care about that much.
0: Yeah, I just yeah, it's not that big of a deal, but I just thought it was like. How can Jordan Poole not be on that list? I don't know. Yeah.
1: No, that, that doesn't really make yeah. sense to
0: me. Yeah, but yeah, just to critique the award, it's like, how do you value, because like you have like Jordan Poole, who's like the most improved because we didn't expect him to be a good NBA player. And he's like, wow, he's a really good NBA player. And then you got the Darius Garland, who's just like, well, he just improved because it's his second year. Like he's going to get better. Yeah. And then you got John Morant. It's like he jumped from star to superstar. So there's like so many different yeah. levels of improvement there. Yeah, so I agree with you. The the problem is probably more with the award than than yeah. who It's also
1: kinda it. it's so hard because it's like you also like when you're making the argument for most improved, you almost have to make an argument that the player was bad the year before. Yeah. It's like you have to tear down the player that the prior player to then to make the case for him to win most improved. So yeah, it, it's kind of weird.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know about that because it's like Jaw wasn't bad, but you can definitely tell he improved.
1: Yeah, but like, I'm just saying, like some of the arguments for Jaw like not deserving it is like he was already oh, awesome yeah, last year. So like you, you only like you to make the case for most approved, there does have to be something to be improved upon. And you know when when guys are already that good, it's like well how how much better can they really get? Yeah.
0: yeah. All right, we'll close on MVP because I I'm gonna renig. I I don't I think I picked Giannis. I think you picked Jokic. Is that correct? Yeah. I agree with you. I think, not that I necessarily agree that he, I don't know how I feel, but I think he's going to win. I think that's- Yeah, I think Yo-
1: I would be really surprised if
0: Jokic doesn't win. Most of
1: like the straw polls and stuff done for the writers seem to indicate he's going
0: to win. Yeah, I think the the, pol- the pulse across like the media is that Jokic is going to win, which I'm happy about. I think that he deserves it um, because of what he had to do for this team this year, so- yeah Anyways. and
1: remember it's a regular season award you know yeah that's it is what it is
0: yeah i mean if we're talking i don't think i don't i yeah the bucks could go all the way and we you picked them there and so did i but hypothetically they could lose in the second round and so could Embiid. so we couldn't see any of those regular season people in the finals you know yeah so, yeah that you got to keep that in mind when we're talking about mvp all right, anything else we need to mention? Obviously, we've kind of jumped around a lot.
1: No, I, th- I think we're good.
0: All right, so I got the Golden State Warriors. So he's got the Suns in the finals. Really interesting to see how it plays out. We'll probably do another pod um, when we get closer to the finals time because I think we'll we'll have a lot more information under our belt. We'll get to see how the Celtics-Nets series shapes out. So that'll be really interesting. Coming up in the next couple of weeks, got some things to look forward to. I'm, I'm still going to try to do a Braves episode. NFL Draft is coming up. Zoli is my go-to there. Might have to have somebody else on. So we'll probably do a full NFL Draft preview, which will be cool. Um, so yeah, be looking forward to that. Um, thanks everybody for listening to this episode and we'll see you next time.